Come, Holy Spirit, use and overrule my words and all our thoughts, so that your word alone may be spoken and your word alone heard through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It is such a joy for my wife Meg and me to be back with you all. We have been looking forward to, to being here. We got to uh, worship with you all when, we were, when I was on sabbatical and uh, just time off for good behavior and got to come and, and uh, enjoy this wonderful church family. Uh, we really love being at St. Michael's and it's just great to see how this church is is, is growing and thriving and just the wonderful spirit of the Lord that is so uh, evident and present among you all. And I want again to uh, publicly uh, give thanks and praise to God for the leadership of your priest and pastor, Aaron. Yes. Um, Aaron, uh, this congregation just keeps telling me how, how thankful they are uh, for you and for your ministry. Uh, but you're, you're, you're passion to take people deeper in Christ and to help people uh, find what the Lord is doing in their lives and to, to follow close after him uh, is such a gift, such a blessing. Uh, your preaching, your teaching, your, your pastor's heart um, have just been such a, such a gift to this congregation. And um, I'm just so thankful for you. Um, as I told you last night, I'm in your corner. <laughs> and I, I think I've, I can say without fear of contradiction, you're doing a wonderful job. <laughs> and so to God be the glory. Thanks so much. Uh, and to, to the vestry, it was great to be with uh, some of you yesterday and to, to spend some time talking and sharing and hearing um, the, what God, your excitement about what God is doing and your eagerness about what is God is, is going to do next. Uh, and indeed to all of you, uh, thanks for all that you do to be a part of this wonderful church family. Uh, I bring you greetings from our Archbishop, Archbishop Foley Beach of the Anglican Church in North America and all of his travels uh, around the, across the country and around the world. He, he sends his warm greetings to you all. Well, let's turn to, to God's word. Have you noticed they were always bringing people to Jesus? Have you noticed that? It wasn't just that word spread about Jesus and people flocked to him, though that certainly happened. But they were always bringing people to Jesus. We heard it in this morning's gospel reading. Andrew heard John the Baptist call Jesus the Lamb of God, and he began to follow Jesus. But the gospel says that the very first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, and it says, and he brought him to Jesus. Again and again, people saw that in Jesus there was healing and wholeness and forgiveness and salvation and hope. And so they brought those they knew to Jesus. They loved their friend, their family member, uh, the sick person they knew to be in need. And so they brought that person to Jesus, sometimes with great effort, uh, like the time they couldn't get through the crowd and had to go up on the roof so that they could dig a hole in the roof and lower the, guy, the paralytic on the stretcher down through the hole to, to, to Jesus. 
because they knew if they could get their friend into Jesus' presence, blessing would flow. Transformation would come. I I want you to listen to some of the instances in the Gospels where people brought someone to Jesus. I'm just going to read these verses to you. And as you, as you hear them, would you note the compassion that was in the hearts of these friends? The ones who were so concerned, so eager to bring that other one into the presence of Jesus. So here, here are some. News about Jesus spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. When the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. That evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. The father said, Teacher, I brought, you, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of diseases, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. They were always bringing people to Jesus. I want to talk this morning about two ways we can do that. Two ways we can bring people to Jesus. The first way is probably the one we think of most often. It's by sharing our faith. Doing what we call evangelism. Telling others the good news of salvation in the hope that they'll come to faith in the Lord for themselves. I've spoken about this here over the years, and I know that you all have been talking about reaching out and building relationships with people who don't yet know Christ, about inviting people to come to St. Michael's and explore their questions in a thoughtful, loving community with an awesome pastor who is especially gifted in helping people on their journey to faith. And you know what the Bible says about how vitally important it is for us to share the love and forgiveness that we ourselves have been given so freely in the Lord. You see, it is a glorious thing to be saved by the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But please understand me when I say that it is not enough to be saved. We have been entrusted with the gospel so that we can share it. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And then Paul adds the kicker. 
Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. If you know the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, then you have been entrusted with the incomparable treasure of the gospel. You are a steward of the message of salvation. And just as one day we will be called to account before God for how we've handled our money, we will also be called to account for how we've handled the gospel. Did we hoard it? Did we hide it away, thinking it was somehow ours to keep? Or did we share it? Did we introduce our friends to our friend Jesus? Freely you have received, Jesus said. Freely give. Now, most people hear about Christ many times before they surrender their lives to him. On average, people say it might be eight or ten times before when a person hears about Jesus or has a significant conversation or encounter with a Christian eight or ten or more times before making a decision to follow the Lord. The good news in that, for people like most of us, is that you can have an important role in someone's coming to Christ, even if you aren't the one leading them in a prayer of surrender. Just sharing your faith or being a godly example of a humble Christian can be key in someone's journey. But we need to be clear about Jesus. We need to be upfront about our relationship with him. On one of our church visits, I spoke with a woman who told me how she loves to witness while traveling for her work. She explained she looks for opportunities to serve people who might be having difficulty. She looks for ways to try to help them. And she hopes that in some way her service might show Jesus' love. You know, she might see an older person sitting alone on a bench in an airport. Or a young mom struggling with small children in suitcases. Or uh, a clerk in one of the airport stores who's just gotten screamed at by an angry customer. And she looks for ways to, to, to reach out and be, be gracious. And I asked her what she says to those people she helps, what words she used to share the gospel. Well, she looked a bit puzzled, and she said, well, I just witness by my actions. And I said, I could tell that she was genuine in wanting to serve, and I assured her that the Lord knows her heart. But I suggested that the person that she has encountered doesn't know why she's being helpful. The other person just came away thinking she was a nice lady. There's a saying that I hear from time to time about witnessing that is variously attributed to St. Francis of Assisi or Mother Teresa of Calcutta. It's share the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Well, I have to tell you, in 21st century America, it's necessary to use words. <laughs> because if you're a four-foot-something Albanian nun in a habit on the streets of Calcutta, people might somehow figure out that you're just a bit different. <laughs> but in our culture, if you help someone, they just think you're nice. They certainly don't assume you're a Christian or serving because of your faith. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Without words about Jesus, I'm afraid the credit for our kindness goes to us, not God. So I suggested to the woman that when she's helped someone and they say, thank you, perhaps she could reply something like, I just wanted to show Jesus' love in a practical way. She kind of liked that idea. God has entrusted to us the message of salvation and how precious it is, what an incomparable privilege it is to tell others about our great Savior, Jesus Christ. But there's a second way of bringing people to Jesus that you might not immediately think of in this way, and that's to pray. Sometimes we can pray with someone. They share a need for healing or a job or their concern for a loved one, and we can pray for them on the spot. But more often we pray from afar. We pray on our own. But whether it's in person or in our own prayer time, we are in prayer bringing a person and his or her need to Jesus himself. We pray, Lord, I bring before you my friend who is in great need. Please save her or heal her or guide her or provide for him or deliver him from temptation and false choices. Whatever the need is, you bring the other to Jesus in prayer. You intercede for that person. We often use the word intercession as a synonym for prayer. And while in a general sense that's valid, it's not technically correct because intercession is coming to God on behalf of another. But not all prayer is intercession because in our prayers we're not always praying for someone else. We can pray for them, but we can also pray for ourselves. Uh, We don't call that intercession. We call it petition, which means simply asking. We're praying for ourselves. Or we can pray in our worship of God. We can pray in thanksgiving or in confession of our sins. Not all prayer is interceding for another person. Intercession means literally going between. Uh, Inter is Latin for between, and the session part comes from the Latin sedere, which means to go. An intercessor is a go-between. Intercession is what's described in Ezekiel chapter 22 as standing in the gap between two parties. Intercession brings about a meeting, an encounter. Sometimes it's a meeting to ward off Satan and Satan's forces. In that case, the intercessor goes between Satan and the person. You intercede to keep them apart, to keep Satan away from your friend or family member, the way a referee in a prize fight steps in and intercedes between two boxers who need to be pushed apart. The referee intercedes, separates, keeps them apart. But sometimes intercession means bringing about a meeting between God and a person, bringing them together. The way you might help reconcile two friends after one had hurt the other. Or the way you might introduce two friends of yours uh, so that one of your friends 
comes to know the blessing of meeting and knowing the other of your friends. That's also intercession. It's bringing two people together. One of the most powerful things we can do for those who don't know Jesus Christ is to pray for them. Praying for that meeting to come between them and Jesus. Praying that they will humble themselves and admit their need for his mercy and forgiveness and come to know him. You may recall, though, in Luke's gospel, we read that Jesus one day told his disciples a parable to show them how they should always pray and what? Never give up. Now, you know that he told us that because he knew that we would all be tempted to stop praying before we should. That's especially true when it comes to praying for people to come to Christ. We are so inclined to lose heart, to decide they're never going to meet the Lord, they're not interested, so what's the point of even praying? But we must always pray and never give up. I was so convicted when I first heard the account of uh, George Mueller of Bristol, England in the 19th century. Mueller was a man of remarkable humility and faith. He devoted his life to the care of orphans. He cared for over 10,000 orphaned children over a period of 63 years. His entire ministry was based on unwavering prayer in a, a prayer to a prayer answering God, as he called the Lord. Mueller never once asked for money. Instead, he prayed it in. And there are numerous instances where uh, the orphanage had nothing, not a single bit of food. And he prayed all night only to have the needed eggs and milk and bread appear on the doorstep the next morning in time for breakfast. God met their needs over and over again as they prayed. Mueller prayed daily for five particular friends to come to faith in Jesus Christ. One by one, over the course of many years, four of the five came to faith. But Mueller never stopped praying for that fifth one. He wrote, I have been praying for 63 years and eight months for one man's conversion. He is not saved yet, but he will be. How can it be otherwise? I am praying. Mueller never saw that friend come to Christ. Mueller died at 93 years of age. And his biographer reports that the friend came to Christ at Mueller's funeral. A simple thing many people have found is to follow Mueller's example and to pray and ask God for the names of perhaps five people whom you know do not yet know Jesus Christ. Five for whom you can pray. And perhaps you'd like to join in that wonderful practice. Uh, participate in that blessed prayer project by asking the Lord for just five people you should pray for. I'd urge you to spend time listening to God about that. It may be days or weeks before you feel God has shown you the names of five people to pray for. But write them down and begin to pray God's blessing on those five. Pray for opportunities to get to know them, because you may not, or know them better. Pray for opportunities to serve them, 
Pray for opportunities to share your faith with them. Pray for opportunities to invite them to worship with you or to another event with members of the body of Christ. We humbly share our faith and we pray for others because we know we have received grace, God's undeserved favor. It is no credit to us, no cause for pride. In an old Dennis the Menace cartoon, Dennis and Tommy have stopped stopped by the Wilsons and Mrs. Wilson has given each of them a cookie as they walk away, waving happily, chewing on their cookie, Dennis explains to Tommy, Mrs. Wilson gives you a cookie because she's nice, not because you're nice. (laughs) The Bible puts it this way, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can be forgiven, not because we're good, but because he is good. Some of you may have seen that wonderful film about William Wilberforce and the fight to end the slave trade in Great Britain. It's called Amazing Grace, and it includes the story of John Newton, the slave trader who was converted to Christ and then joined in the struggle against the slave industry that he'd been a part of. And it was this John Newton who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. He's quite elderly in the film, and in a very poignant moment, Uh, Newton says to William Wilberforce one of the most powerful lines I've ever heard in a movie. He says, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. Jesus is a savior who loved us so much that he took our sin upon himself that we might find new life in him. We share Jesus and we pray for others, not from a place of smugness or superiority, but from a place of profound humility. We are broken people, touched by the undeserved grace of God. And we share Jesus not because we are good, but because he is. And so out of compassion and joy and obedience and love, let's share Jesus with a world that needs him so much. Let's be bringing people to Jesus. Amen. Amen.